Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. All right, everybody, welcome back to another bonus episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me on the other side is Mr. David Hudson. David, how you doing? Oh, I can't complain today. Ian, how about yourself? Oh, not too bad, you know, just trying to uh, stay positive, stay healthy, you know? Positive, yes. COVID-19, positive, no. Yes, yes. Don't want that. And I'm, uh, I'm in New York, the, uh, the proverbial hotspot. I know, but I know you said yes. things were picking up a little bit down by you. They are. They are. It's really bad in New Orleans, which is like two hours, a little over two hours south of me, and really bad there. And our our cases have, have steadily gone up every day. Troubling times, you know? really is. But that's why we're here, right? To try to give people some uh, additional things to listen to while they might be uh, confined. Hopefully people have been enjoying the bonus episode so far. I have. I don't know about you. Oh yeah, they're good. Um, a lot of people have got a lot of ideas from people for for future bonus episodes, and as long as my schedule works where we can record several of these a week, we'll put them out just as fast as we can. Because I mean, it's people don't have anything else to do, and um, people that listen to this podcast they like not only the Black Crows, they like other things, and so we're going to talk about other things. And, and this week, though, we're gonna it's going to be a bonus episode, but it's still going to be about the Crows. Yeah, there's some crows coming into the mix here. A little bit later on in the show, we're going to uh, speak to a uh, very special guest, Mr. J.B. Strauss. New artist to the scene, just released an EP called Man Possessed, and Mark Ford sat in on one track there, gave him some guitar prowess and a little uh, little words of wisdom, too, as we'll find out later. So today's bonus episode, we're going to be talking about other notable sit-ins. David went with uh, live sit-ins. I did ones that were on uh, uh, artist uh, studio albums. So kind of get a different perspective on each. So, uh, David, why don't you jump right in? Give me a little rundown of your list. Maybe the most important sit-in in the history of the Black Crows took place at the Jamie Awards when Chris and Rich performed Sometimes Salvation with Government Mule. You can need a heart to water, yes you can, but 
shortly thereafter, we would have the Crows getting back together. You know, obviously, 0506 with Mark Ford and Sven Pippian. Really, what I think was the, the highlight of the of the of their career. When I think about sit-ins with the Crows, that one's a very important one. Government Mule plays sometimes Salvation from time to time. I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of their version of it. Uh, I mean, Warren stays pretty pretty true to the, the song, but for whatever reason, it doesn't always uh, click with me. But this one is great. It's gr- it was you know it's just like it's great to see Chris and Rich on the Howard Stern show. It's great to see them at the Jammy Awards. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that being very exciting and very cool. Yeah, the trouble with that song is that's a very signature Black Crow song, so it's it's hard to to pull it off. I give I give anyone a lot of credit that will try to cover a such a signature tune. Like there's that one, and then um, you know there's uh, there's bands doing like My Morning Song and things like that. You know, very signature tunes. It's it's ballsy to take that on. Yeah, it is. Uh, another one that came to mind was very recent when Peter Buck set in with the brothers for uh, Seven Chinese Brothers. <laughs>
classic REM song. This is one that obviously Chris and Rich were big fans of growing up. And uh, even Steve, you know, he talks about that early REM. And, and obviously Athens is just 30, 40 miles down the road from where they grew up. So they were uh, very well versed in the REM catalog. And I ha- have to think this was really cool for them, for Peter Buck to come do this. And it was a great city. And they did uh, the Velvet Underground's Femme Fatale. Not a big fan of, of that song just in general. But uh, I really love watching the video of that. And you got to think, on the inside, they were geeking out. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, like you said, the uh, the REM influence, you know, was very big on them. Whether it showed through tremendously in the music they would end up putting out on albums is a different story. But, you know, they had definitely have a love and respect for early REM. And, uh, you know, that was definitely a cool thing to see. I don't care what anybody says about the uh, 2020 Brothers of a Feather Run. That was a cool moment. Yes, it was. It got them a lot of press, too. Uh, another one that I always love to watch on YouTube is uh, there's a show in um, England called Later with Jules Holland. And um, I forget, he was in a band in the 80s. I forget who they were, but he's a very talented piano player. Yes. And so he and Kelly Jones from Stereophonics sit in with the boys. And this is an 01, and they do twice as hard. There's there's a lot of people try to sing Black Crow songs and their voice just can't handle it. He knocks it out of the park uh, on this. It, it's a great rendition. The band's having fun. You got to think this may have been what led to Steve playing drums for the Stereophonics uh, just a few years after this. Yeah, I mean that definitely probably was the the catalyst for it. At the um, I believe it was called the Lions Completion Party, like right after the album was done. I think in advance of the release, because it was sometime in February and the album came out in May, if I'm not mistaken. Kelly Jones also sat in with them on that on the uh, same track, I believe. So I guess maybe it was a favorite of his or something. Yeah, he nails it. Uh, just, it's, it's, it's great. And you can tell he's having a lot of fun doing it. And I always like that when you see people that are fans of other bands get to sing. like one of my favorite uh, performers is Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem. Obviously, he grew up in New Jersey, patterned a lot of his music after Bruce Springsteen, and they're playing a festival over in England, and Bruce Springsteen comes out and plays a Gaslight Anthem song with Brian Fallon. Like, I got to think he's walking on walking on cloud, you know, at that, at that point. And yeah. it, was, it was cool to see Kelly do that. One that, uh, that I always love to watch on, um, on YouTube, and I have it in, in my collection, was 
I guess it was one of the shows when Steve first came back in the, at the Tabernacle in Atlanta in 05. Jimmy Herring, who went on to be in uh, Widespread Panic and was in uh, other bands before that, sits in with the band to play Girl from the North Country. And uh, he really added some some really nice touches to that. And this, this is becoming one of my favorite covers the Crows do, specifically how they did it in 05 and 06. Man, Mark Ford just takes over and... Uh, makes it his own but jimmy herring uh, is a very tasteful player uh, i love widespread panic ever since he joined the band he he really breathed new life into them and you got to think he's a local georgia boy so there's probably some history there to begin with but and you know chris chris has set in with panic uh, a couple of years ago i know i know for sure he did in memphis but uh girl from the north country that version with jimmy herring at the tabernacle is just smoking so Jimmy Herring is great. Actually, when I first started going to see the Allman Brothers band, it was 97 was the first year. So it was the first year Warren and Woody weren't in uh, in the band, and Jimmy Herring was filling in for that tour. I thought he was such a great player. You know, and then I, I followed him on to like his main things, you know, the widespread panic and things like that. And he's got a very unique kind of style, and I, I, he, you know, he can play that jazz stuff, that jazz fusion stuff, and then he can just he can shred when he needs to. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, nice stuff, nice. 
another one that comes to mind for me, uh, being a massive Oasis fan, was on that uh, Brotherly Love tour. Uh, often, at least Noel and, and some other members of the band would sit in for an encore uh, with the boys. And uh, one of the songs that they did was Down in the Street by the Stooges. And sometimes they would do Lucifer Sam. But Down in the Street, I, I really enjoyed. Uh, and it, usually it was Noel and, uh, and Gim from Oasis would sit in. And everybody was all smiles, having a lot of fun. And that, those are two of my favorite bands. So, of course, I'm going to pick one of those. I saw them why they did Lucifer Sam and it was uh it was really cool it was a song I really wasn't that familiar with because I, I I'm I, I'm a big fan of Pink Floyd but I never really got into the Sid Barrett uh era yeah same here um I don't really have much against it it's just the that the uh psychedelic really heavy psychedelic stuff you know and for, on any front never did a whole lot for me all right so my last one was at the Lockin Festival and it's Bob Weir and the Tedeschi Trucks Band, and they sit in with the band and uh, sing Turn On Your Love Light. heaven during this one he you know so you can always tell sometimes when he's he's always into it but sometimes he goes next level and he's bouncing around with the tambourine of course he's a huge dead guy so he's got bob weir on stage and then you know i've i've, I've heard several members of the band say that, that the tedeschi trucks band's the most talented band they've ever played with and this is a song you can really jam out it has it you know it's it's a good feeling song uh, it's happy and uh, everybody on the stage seemed to be having a good time <laughs> 
I believe Steve even remarked in his book what a good time they had out on that 13 tour with Tedeschi Trucks Band. There's a couple other instances where they do it just with the Tedeschi Trucks Band. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's good every time. It's a great little, that's a good song to jam on, you know. Oh, yeah. It makes everybody happy, brings a smile to their face. That's all the ones I had. And, and if, if people think these, these are a little kind of scatterbrained, they are because – to be to be honest, uh, Ian and I miscommunicated on it. <laughs> I thought it was live sit-ins, and he's talking about doing um, sit-ins in the studio. So my most of mine were were, were newer, uh, just because the band had seemed to have a lot more people sitting in with them uh, after '01 than they did, you know, in their heyday. But uh, those are the ones that came to mind. I know there's a lot of people going to mention a bunch that I've forgotten. That'll yeah. certainly initiate uh, some other uh, mentions, I'm sure. What I was going for on this, I, I was going for, uh, you know, artists that sat in on other artists' albums. And uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily uh, limiting it to the Black Crows or anything like that. So I'll just uh, I'll run some of these by you. You might uh, be familiar with some of these or might not be, but um, in no particular order. Uh, the first one I had actually is um, on the Guns N' Roses track, Don't Cry. Uh, it's actually a, uh, a pre-Blind Melon first album release, Shannon Hoon, that sings the higher part on that. people myself included i for years thought i was just axel doubling the vocal but if you watch the video uh, shannon hoon's even in the video and uh, apparently when he came to california he kind of met axel rose through a, a, a you know a, a family member or something of that nature and they became kind of friendly for a while so that's how he ended up he's on a few other tracks on the album but that track his contribution to that really makes the song as far as i'm concerned well, I'll throw out a cheap plug from other podcasts, Digital Killed the Radio Star. For our 100th episode, we interviewed Roger Stevens, who's one of the lead guitars for Blind Melon. And he kind of went into the backstory between Axel and Shannon. And Shannon's sister and Axel were real good friends. And when they found out that Shannon was taken off to L.A., she got in touch with Axel and said, please look after him. And so Rogers tells some funny story. One of them he tells is like, uh, he gets a phone call and it's like Axel and he's like, I'm with Shannon. We're going to pick you up and go to go to dinner. And he looks out and there's a limo out front and they go to like man's Chinese theater or whatever to to <laughs> or, or go to eat Chinese food or something. May not, that may not be where they went. But um, yeah, Sh- Shannon really added a lot uh, to that song. And they have a they had a really strong history. Rogers was telling me just between the bands in general, uh, they were all good friends and they were big supporters uh, of the band early on. And uh, there's a book that Greg Prato wrote um, about Shannon Hoon and Blind Melon. It's really good. It offers a lot of insight into their relationship. And, uh, yeah, he really added a lot to that song. And uh, that's also that video is where they have the Where's Izzy sign. Um, yes. You know, Izzy didn't show up. So, yeah, uh, yeah, that's a great one. That's a great one. 
But the uh, the next one I have is um, on the uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young um, on their first album, Crosby, Stills and Nash's second album, uh, Deja Vu, which came out in 1970. The very popular track on that was "Teach Your Children." It was a Graham Nash song that was he wrote it, and and actually on the uh, studio version of that, Jerry Garcia plays the pedal steel. children well their father's hell did slowly go by and feed them on your dreams the one they picked the one you know by don't you ever ask them why if they told you you would cry so just look at them and sigh And know they love you And you of ten I always felt that that was very, uh, you know, key in that song. It's a very known aspect of that song um i don't know i i never actually asked you are you a crosby stills and nash guy or i mean the hits they have i'm familiar with them that they just never have done a lot for me but i didn't know garcia played on that and i've heard people say that he's a better like banjo and pedal steel player than possibly just a guitar player you know he's really into to bluegrass and, and country and stuff and so yeah that's a cool little tidbit i didn't know yeah and apparently it was the trade-off was that um he would play on Crosby, Stills, Nash record if Crosby, Stills, and Nash would work with the vocalists in The Grateful Dead to improve their harmonies so they could do something in that na- nature with right. the harmonies and stuff. So that was the trade-off for that. There was certainly room for improvement. I think it worked. I like those. Those are actually my two favorite Dead records. Oh, yeah, yeah. The next one I have, you mentioned the Allman Brothers Band uh, uh, or some members a, a bit before. Mine is uh, a little bit later in their catalog on the Enlightened Rogues album from 79. The only hit that was off that album, it was called Crazy Love. And uh, Bonnie Bramlett sings the co-lead vocal.
I don't know if people know that album and know that track necessarily as much. I mean, it's on their greatest hits, their decade of hits album that was fairly popular, but great song. I always like Bonnie Bramlett. I think she's a really great singer. She kind of fell off the map a bit after Delaney and Bonnie fizzled out, which was a shame because she's a, she's a really good singer. Yeah, Delaney and Bonnie were um, they, they were great. They they were just people that loved music and really, uh, especially. Yeah, she went on to be. Uh, let's see, if I'm not crazy, she went on to star on Roseanne. Yeah, that's definitely true. That was yeah. like probably midway through the the original run of that show. Yeah, I, I think Roseanne worked like in a diner, yeah, or a coffee shop or something, and uh, she was the other waitress there with her. I, I think you're and right. I, I remember there's there's one episode where. I don't remember the circumstance of the episode, but I remember they were in a bowling alley, and the band is performing in the bowling alley, and the guy performing is David Crosby. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's cool. Yeah, people need to go listen to that live with Eric Clapton album, uh, which you know yeah. several songs off there wind up being covered by the Crows. And it's a very cool album because Clapton was very content with being a sideman, and that he wasn't going out there standing in the spotlight. Being, you know, I'm Eric Clapton. He was just happy to be a touring guitar player. That's where his head was at at the time. You're right. Yeah, um, Delaney Bramlett. He grew up about an hour and a half from me. Yeah, I, he he's the guy that kind of uh, faded out a bit after a certain amount of time, which was a shame. I, I know he had trouble with uh, alcoholism and things like that, but uh, he was a great producer too. I mean, he did a lot. Of, there's actually a version of Eric Clapton's first album, which is called Eric Clapton. But if you get the deluxe edition of that, the second disc is. Delaney Bramlett's mix instead of Tom Dowd. Yeah. And actually, I, I like Delaney's mix so much better. I do too. I was actually listening to that the other day. It's interesting you brought that up. The next one I got is um, kind of a forgotten album, I think. It was Sammy Hagar's first album after he split from Van Halen in 96. In 97, he came out with an album called Marching to Mars. It was kind of a, this is before he put together the Wabaritas band, and he, it was kind of a, a guest laden affair. But uh, the coolest point on the album, there's a song on that called Leaving the Warmth of the Womb. And the guests on that are Ronnie Montrose, Bill Church, and Denny Carmasi. So it's essentially the original lineup of Montrose playing this song. never really hugely publicized at the time that i remember but it, i mean that's really cool to me 
because it was a big deal for Montrose to get back together because Ronnie Montrose and Sammy Hagar had a major falling out, I believe. And um, I, I'm glad that they patched it up before Ronnie passed away. Man, you're going deep on me. You're going deep. <laughs> you're going deep. Um, I, I've never heard the song, but obviously that first Montrose album – for a lot of people, is one of the most influential guitar albums of all time. People just what was it have like would it have Rock Candy on it and um, they have a song bad Heavy Motor Mo- Scooter, Your Bad Motor Scooter, yeah. yeah so uh, that they were extremely influential, and you kind of wonder what their career arc could have been had things not gone sideways for them. Yeah, I mean that first album is great. There's even a second album that Sammy was on the, that original lineup was on. Uh, it's called uh, Paper Money. Uh, came out right after. It's not as well known, but that's a that's a pretty solid album too. Yeah, so I always thought that was pretty cool. Like it, he snuck a Montrose reunion in there, you know. Now, uh, next track I have, and this is one I actually only found out about a little more recently. But uh, it's a guy sitting in that uh, I know you definitely admire. I I admire him on the Rolling Stones track from uh, Sticky Fingers, Wild Horses, and it's uh, Jim Dickinson playing the piano. video you can go on youtube and find the video of when they play it back and hear it for the first time it's on it's on one of those documentaries and it's keith richards and jim dickinson are sitting on a couch and keith's got the snakeskin boots with the actual snake heads on them and they're uh-huh. hearing it, hearing it for the first time and jim dickinson if people don't know is luther dickinson's dad who was extremely extremely 
well-respected in the music industry. I was interviewing Cody Dickinson one time for my other podcast, and we were talking about his dad. And his dad, for a long time, was a session musician down in, uh, I forget the name of the studio, in Miami. And he just wasn't really happy down there and kind of, you know, wanted to get back to, I guess, to Memphis and, and, and working up there. And he said, yeah, this guy was like, you just really need to go back to Memphis. This is Cody telling me this. He's like, you really need to go back, you know, and, and produce and, and do exactly what you want. You know, you don't you don't need you don't need to stay down here. And uh, I said, oh, that was cool. And Cody goes, yeah, his name was Dwayne Almond. And uh, <laughs> if you if you on some of those later Bob Dylan albums, I can't remember if it was Time Out of Mind or um, Love and Theft, maybe they were having some issues recording some tracks and Dylan was like, get Jim Dickinson here. And Jim Dickinson flies in and, and lays down the, the tracks. And then if you've read Keith Richards book, the opening part of Keith Richards book is him getting pulled over in Arkansas with just a boatload of drugs. And it's because Jim Dickinson recommended to him to drive from Memphis to Dallas and drive through the Arkansas Delta and see it. And uh, obviously, you know, they were, they were good friends. And then Jim went on to produce, uh, one of those big star albums, and then he produced uh, the replacements, and uh, just he just a very well respected guy, and he nailed the piano on Wild Horses, just nailed it. And I encourage you to go watch that video of them because it's really really cool. And Cody, when I talked to Cody, like he just he's so proud of his dad, and just of all he did in, in music. But just he was Jim, I, I believe was it sounds like he was just a really nice guy, and you don't hear anybody say anything negative about him. And I mean, he, he produced, I mean, you know, he produced Paul Westerberg. He produced, you know, Big Star. I mean, he, he was, you know, a lot of influential albums, you know, he had a hand in, but yeah, Bob Dylan sung his praises and and obviously the Stones did. And uh, I think, you know, the Stones were probably friends with him up until the end. Yeah. And he's one of those guys that produced a lot of, not necessarily the most well-known records, but like the most influential and, and, and enduring the test of time kind of records, you know? Well, that's why the replacements wanted him to um, produce the album. I forget the name of it. I think it's the song. It has Skyway on it. It's whatever that album is because he produced that Big Star album. Obviously, they were massive Big Star fans. And so that's why they wanted to come down to Memphis and and do that one. And then the last one I have, I kind of, this came to me at the last minute, but uh, Allison Chains had an EP out, four track. Well, technically five. One of the tracks was hidden, but uh, in 1992, it's called uh, Sap. And uh, there's a track on there called Right Turn that Chris Cornell puts a really nice vocal on on the end. I love that song. I love what he does with it. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. I love that EP. I love Alice in Chains. Chris Cornell is a generational voice. 
Um, oh, absolutely. One of the all-time great. He's a guy that literally could sing anything. And, and, you know, there's that cover of um, what's the print song he wrote for Sinead O'Connor? Um, oh, uh, nothing compares to you. Nothing compares to you. That just, I mean, it should be his song now. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, I bought his like posthumously. They put out like a compilation of stuff he did, different bands and solo and things, and they included that on it as like a exclusive track. And I bought it just for that because it's such a fantastic version. One of the cool things I think about that scene was just everybody was so supportive of one another. You know, Cornell would, would do Temple of a Dog, you know, and Vetter would sit in with that. And then you had this, you had Mad Season. I believe on the, the Sap EP, does Hart, does, does the Wilson sisters, are they part of that? They're, yeah, they're on a track on that. Um, I think it's on Brother, she sings. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ann Wilson sings on that. And, you know, and they all just looked up to Hart. And when Hart got inducted to the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on Barracuda, Mike McCready played guitar, Chris Cornell played guitar, and Jerry Cantrell played guitar. They just talk about how cool Ann and Nancy are, and they just look up to them so much. And, you know, kind of one of the reasons that Alice and Chains got back together, there was a VH1 special on Hart. And Alice and Chains, I think it was the first time they performed without Lane. And Duff McKagan was on guitar as well. And Phil Anselmo sang a song with them and then William Duvall did a song and so uh, a lot of history there but yeah Chris Cornell on that uh, I'd forgotten he was on that but you know his his voice is so haunting it's hard to miss it yeah I mean he's one of the one of the most distinctive voices I've I've heard so that's kind of cool though I mean even though our uh, our uh, interpretation of the uh, topic at hand was uh, was varied uh, you know it's cool all right, Ian, we're really excited about uh, this episode today. We've been trying to set this interview up actually for a while, and uh, uh, we couldn't coord- get our schedules to coordinate, but now that uh, everybody has a little downtime, it's uh, it's easier to get things like this done. Uh, I want to welcome to the State of America podcast singer-songwriter J.B. Strauss. J.B., how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, we got to ask you, man, uh, before we get into like music and everything, how are you holding up with the uh, quarantine? I'm doing all right, just staying in. Watching movies, trying to write a little bit. You know, every writer uh, craves the downtime to write, and then it comes along, and you get distracted by other things. But trying to make the most of it. I imagine, in when this is over with, we're going to be flooded with so much music from so many people. It's going to be I hope crazy. So, man. I've heard some of my buddies have come up with some really good stuff in this time, so I can't wait to hear it when it gets all recorded and everything. Yeah, and I, I got a feeling we're going to have like some like prog rock COVID nineteen concept albums come out. It'll be kind of crazy <laughs> and weird, you know. I got a little something in the works that I'll uh, keep y'all posted on. Something okay. along those lines. So. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's uh, it's just uh, it's crazy times we're living in. This happened so fast in a matter of days. Our world it just really completely does. changed. Yeah, and it's been kind of a shock to see it happen. You know, staggered along the way. But uh, I've, I've been I've been in for a long time, just trying to take it easy and. You know, I got folks in my family I care about, and other people said the same thing. Just, you know, it's real important to stay in right now, so. Yeah, well, you're being responsible. I think everybody appreciates that. We need more people to do that. Responsible or lazy, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I was I was talking with somebody the other day. I said, when, when we get the all clear sign, I'm going to be as happy as I've ever been just to go eat fast food somewhere. You oh, know? I can't wait. I was Waffle House. I can't wait to go to Waffle House. <laughs> <laughs> well, everything on the well, and this is probably like the first time since I was 15 years old that I haven't had a concert to look forward to. And the fact yeah. that there's no live music, like it's killing me. Like I was like, man, I think I'd probably go see Britney Spears right now if I had the chance. Absolutely, Just- <laughs> man. I'm in the same boat. Hopefully we're that much better when it comes around, though. I know. I know. Let's see, JB. So uh, you grew up in Georgia around the Macon era. Yeah, yep. I would imagine it's kind of hard to escape the heritage of a place like that when you're growing up. 
It really is. And uh, I always consider the Delta and Muscle Shoals and Macon all kind of sister areas of the of the Southeast. And all the music that's come out of there has got all that soul I want to hear. So if I can capture that at any given time, I'm doing I'm doing it right. Your background, though, doesn't start with music. You had uh, started more in a uh, towards the legal end of things. How did you transition from one to the other? I would say necessity, but it was more so, uh, I don't know, it was, a, it was a feeling that I kind of gave into more than anything else. I mean, I enjoyed my time in law school, and it was a good thing to do. It was, it was uh, you know, while I was there, I just fell in love with the, the act of songwriting. And uh, I'd been singing cover deals throughout college and some in law school. I had a band in law school. Shout out to my buddies there. But really, the songwriting bug just bit me while I was there, and it was kind of a, it was more of a feeling than a conscious choice, you know. Just followed it. JB, my wife is an attorney, and she would tell you you made the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. We'll see. So, how did you get started out playing? Did you start at a really young age, or was it kind of later no, in life? Actually, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I, I had a guitar from you know, I got one for Christmas uh, when I was a kid, and I just kind of messed around on it and put it up for a while, and. Uh, you know, as I got older and I played a lot of sports growing up, I played four sports growing up. So that took up most of my time. And when that started to fade, as you get older, you know, I realized I wouldn't go to the NFL or I wasn't playing on the PGA Tour. It was like I needed something else to do to fill my time and something I enjoyed. And it just gradually came into something that I found out really, you know, fulfilled me. So that's kind of how it came about. And I would say I didn't start doing it seriously until towards the end of college. I played for beer money, played, you know, Atlantic City and Wagon Wheel and all those songs everybody in the fraternities wants to hear. And uh, that just kind of turned into... But going back to your earlier point, growing up and making, having all that in my arsenal and having absorbed it when I was young, that all just came back out when I started writing music. And uh, that's really where it came from. So you put out the Man Possessed EP uh, a few months back in December. How's the uh, response been to that so far? It's been good so far, man. I, uh, I got lucky. My buddy Adam Wakefield produced it. Um, we recorded all four tracks, musical tracks in the studio at the same time. And that was half a day. And we took all those recordings and I did vocals at his place and uh, the product, I just couldn't be happier with it. I got to tell you, you you have a very uh, seasoned, mature voice, singing voice. I appreciate that. Uh, that's like, that's well beyond your, your years. Um, I honestly thought you were going to be older than you are because your, your voice sounds very matured, a lot further ahead than other people's voices are at that age. Kind of like, uh, I'm sure you, you're familiar with Marcus King. His, Absolutely. You know, his, his voice doesn't match his, his age at all. Is, is that something that you really worked on, or is that just natural and you're just one of these people that are lucky enough God gave that to you? Man, I don't mean to sound repetitive, but I think it's all the music I listened to growing up. I mean, it was some of my favorite singers have that grit mm-hmm. to their voice and, uh, you know, Growing up on CCR and the Almond Brothers, I mean, Greg, and you get Otis Redding and all the blues influence and all that stuff, R&B, and it's just like, I wanted to sound like that. It was it was not something I really worked on as much as I did just sat in my truck and emulated it, you know, just really trying to sing like those people. I appreciate that, too, by the way. Oh, no problem. Now, how did it uh, come to pass for you that you got to uh, have Mark Ford contribute to the EP with you? He plays the lead on uh, Piss Sand Hill, the lead single. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, that was uh, all my buddy Owen Canada, my manager. He's been managing Mark for, I guess, a couple of years now, doing his solo stuff. And, uh, you know, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have pushed it if he didn't think it was a good fit. And I'm glad he did because Mark got there and uh, he had heard the songs once or twice. And he's so damn good that he just sat down with them once. He got real into them. I was like, all right, I'm going to try this, try this. And it just came out perfect, man. It was, that was a really fun day in the studio and getting to know him. He's a quiet guy. And uh, he speaks with his guitar, and I, I saw that firsthand. It was pretty cool. Well, it's hard to find the Lord 
when you never see the sky and tally marks on cinder blocks of your year passing by well it's been six long years since I last slung my blade but now there ain't enough saints in the south to keep me from a bed I've made cause I got a Obviously, you know this is a this is a Black Crow centered podcast, and because you had you know done stuff with Mark Ford, you're part of the kind of the Black Crow's family tree now. Growing up in Georgia, were they a band that you were familiar of and, and knew that they were from you know Marietta outside of Atlanta? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, the first introduction I had to them was through Athens, and uh, I had I was in Athens visiting a friend of mine at University of Georgia, and you know I'd heard the Black Crows, and everybody's you know heard she talked to angels that sort of thing, and but I got I got introduced to it 
up there, and it just really was the right setting for me to take it all in. And I fell in love with them, man. Uh, I, speaking of singing in my truck, sat there and sang Bad Luck Blue Eyes Goodbye in my truck about 100 times. Not <laughs> missing most of the notes, you know, but... Uh, yeah, that, that was an incredible group, and uh, I'm really proud they're from Georgia. And, and obviously having Mark on there, I mean, just having Mark associated with you, people that are musicians understand how great of a guitar player he is. You know, you know, you have other musicians, uh, you know, Mark Ford this, Mark Ford that. Did he give you any wisdom or anything? Was Obviously, he's well-traveled, and he's he's seen the highs and the lows of the music business. He give you any, any good advice? He did, man. He said, uh, just stick it out. You know, you're, I'm in Nashville. He didn't necessarily do everything he did in Nashville, uh, but he just told me, man, stick it out. Um, he loved what I did. Uh, I had a song that he was going to play on called Wrong Side of the River. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's on the Man Possessed EP. It's kind of a slower tune. And I was going to have him play on that. And he, he was like, you know what? You're, it's good by itself. I don't want to touch it. And uh, at that point was when he pulled me aside. I was like, hey, man, you're doing good. You're doing the right thing. Just stick with it and stay there as long as you can because that's a secret. You're going to be supporting him on tour a little bit later in the year. Is that right? Yeah, I talked about that. Unfortunately, I was I was looking forward to it. It's not going to happen anytime soon. But uh, right now, I'm I'm happy to say that November looks like a good a good fit for when that's all going to happen. So I'm I'm stoked about getting on the road with him. Well, that'll be fun, and I hope we I hope in November we're we're well past this and we're three or four months so into too. into live music. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because you, you know the music business in mine and Ian's lifetime has really changed. Like when I was growing up. It was the cassettes, and then it was the CDs, and then now right. you know it's MP3s. Now it's not even MP3s anymore, really. It's streaming, and fewer right. and fewer people are actually purchasing music. Ian and I are big proponents of buying music, whether you buy the downloads or go buy the vinyl, go buy the CD, buy the CD with the shirt. What are kind of the realities of life now trying to be a full-time musician in a time when the money is not flowing in for everybody like it used to be? Well, it's no secret, man, that the, to make your money, you got to be out and playing and on one hand, that's a good thing. I try to look at it for the positive light. I need the experience and I, I need that connection with a crowd to make my music that much better. And that's how you make your money these days. It's, it's selling merch. It's getting out on the road, building a fan base, which in a lot of ways is the way it used to be. And the streaming aspect of it, you know, there's there's been a lot of a battle in the last couple of years between the people who own most of the rights to the songs and the streaming services and, and the musicians themselves and that's one thing I hope I can eventually do one day with my law degree is kind of bridge the gap there and make it more of a atmosphere for artists to make money doing that. But right now, I mean, somebody like me is not seeing much money from from the music, which is fine. But hopefully a day will come where musicians get paid exactly what they're supposed to for what they put out. You know? I think it's a it's a it's a popular misconception, you know, amongst casual music fans when they pay for their subscription to Spotify or, or whatever platform they choose to stream through. You know, they think that they're paying in, and the artist is being properly paid for that. I don't think people realize that uh, the artist really doesn't get much streaming at all. I mean, it's not fractions. unless you're streaming millions and millions of of listens. You know, you mentioned Marcus King. I saw Marcus when he was 18 playing Macon, and he's been doing it and doing it well for a long time. And he, as successful as he is, is not making enough as he should. Just as an example from his streaming, you know, that that's somebody who should be compensated for their streaming and that all the great music he's put out in the last couple of years. And uh, it's just not the way the landscape is right now. Yeah, it's it's really a shame. You know, I think one of the things, though, that I've been listening to uh, a lot of music people and a kind of economists talk about when we come out of this thing that we're in right now, what's going to change? And I was listening to uh, his name is Doc McGee. He's a big time uh, man. I think he manages like Kiss and Skid Row, a lot of big hard rock bands. He thinks that when all this comes back, 
we'd gotten to a point to where everybody's being priced out of concert tickets. If right. you want good seats, either the scalpers are getting them or you have to pay like seven or $800 for a meet and greet package to get, you know, first 10 rows or whatever. He yep. thinks that there's going to be such a flood on the market that the concert prices are going to come down. And he was like, this is actually going to be a plus for the music fans and, you know, the artists. And he thinks the artists are still going to be okay. It's just going to be the like ticket master and stuff that their profit margin is going to go way down. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I won't lose a whole lot of sleep if that is the case for them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, not to disparage anybody in this time of trial. But anyway, yeah, I hope he's right. And I hope that when this does all lift, that people really see the value of of what artists give to the, to the world. Because right now, you know, there are a lot of people who are supporting artists, but it's kind of one of those things that falls by the wayside when other things come to the forefront. And, you know, it should be a national catastrophe or worldwide catastrophe. But, you know, I hope that people see just what music can give them and and the escape and the enjoyment you can get out of a night like that. And if it works out, the musicians get paid more for, for that service. I think it's a good thing for everybody, even across the music industry. So I hope, I hope he's right. When the smoke clears on all this and you get back uh, in business, what do you got planned uh, for the future? You know, uh, right now I'm hoping to take some of these songs I'm writing and uh, get in the studio pretty soon and kind of just make another push toward getting out on the road. I mean, we had such a great summer plan, um, especially with Mark. And uh, I can't I can't wait to pick that back up. That's going to be kind of the first priority is push my music a little more and get out on the road. I mean, that's what I want to do. And uh, especially after being locked up, you know, not locked up, but quarantined all this time, I'm ready to get out there. So that's the point. <laughs> well, we're ready to see you get out there and we're ready to see everybody else get out there because live music is uh, it's much needed. And uh, I hope we're all right that people go out and support live music. And I, I have, though, been really glad to see a lot of artists. And I was going to ask you if you're thinking about doing this, doing like an Instagram live playing. I see like a... Um, I've seen like Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthems done it. Um, right. Some other artist. Is that something you would think about doing? Is doing one of those live, like Facebook live concerts or something like that? Absolutely, man. I uh, I watched Adam Hood do it last night on Instagram, and it was uh, it was pretty cool. He got people from all over requesting songs for him, and I thought, you know, there's a way I can do this to help myself get through, but also to help other people who are in the same boat get through. Uh, I work, you know, when I'm not playing at a bar restaurant called Neighbors here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of people who have lost their income completely. And, you know, they don't have the outlet to make money anymore. So I would love to do something to raise money for my band, like you said, and, and money for those folks and then get myself through. But, uh, I mean, do you do you think it'd be like a request format would be better for people? I mean, I've seen people do it both ways. I just think people want music so bad right now and they want something to yeah. take them away from what's going on. I mean, I think I think mixing it up would be would be great yeah. and i think the best ones i've seen is just basically somebody sitting in their living room you know yeah it's like it's it's like having a one-on-one time with your musician friend or whatever you get some time to work on what you say in between songs bring your kids girlfriend whatever in there and and have a good time with it so yeah i'm definitely i'm definitely gonna do that at some point well jb i tell you what man it's it's been a real pleasure talking to you like we said we we're really happy for you and and when the fog lifts we hope uh, your career trajectory is just straight up. We look forward to seeing you with Mark Ford. That's going to be fun. You know, you're going to be going out with one of the all-time great guitarists, and uh, that's not going to hurt you at all. No, it's not lost on me either, man. I can't wait. And thank you all for what you do. Shout out to the State of America podcast and all the Black Crows fans watching. Thank you all for taking me into your family. Seriously, it means a lot. Oh, no problem. I want to tell everybody, though, your website is jbstrauss.com. 
and your Twitter is JB underscore Strauss. Follow those for all your uh, information on him. And uh, the EP is called Man Possessed. And we're going to spring something on you, JB. We always ask our guests to give us a song to play out. What's the song off the EP you want us to play out with? You know, I think uh, I think Staying in the Spirit of the Black Crows, first song on the record, Carolina Siren. I think that kind of captures the uh, captures the mood a little bit. So, fantastic song. I really appreciate it, JB. Thanks for coming on with us. I appreciate it, guys. Thank y'all. Good to meet you. Take care and stay tall, everybody. Yes, sir.
Your 